Hello and welcome everybody to Hundo's Web3 Waffles. Thank you very much for joining us today. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by our special guest, Kay Mayfield, an XR founder who's created virtual worlds, 3D environments for e-learning, and he's also neurodivergent. Thank you for joining us here. And also thank you for inviting us into your Hundo Ruby room. It's absolutely fantastic here. And I can't wait to learn more about it. So what's happening in your world these days? Uh, you're very busy, no doubt. We are very busy. We're very busy. We're we're building, as you know, we're building the um the learn to the learn and learn platform. Um, mm -hmm. We've been very much heads down, focusing on our. Well, initially we were running a beta uh, or a, a sort of closed alpha of 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 Hondo, and now we're working towards CareerCon, which is mm -hmm. obviously the big event you know about in November, which is effectively our launch for Hondo. That's when we're we're launching it. So we're um, busy getting everything ready. We've had a decent prototype in place for some time now, so now we're getting it production ready and ironing out all the kinks and making sure it's good to go for November. So That's yeah, it's been exciting few yeah, exciting few weeks getting that all to play in place. And uh, exciting summer to come, getting it all ready. Is this the very first career con for Hundo? It is the very first career con for Hundo. Um it's what we think is gonna be the world's first properly immersive um careers event um, we're going to be discussing what the future of education looks like what the future of work looks like you know with a technology angle to it as well you know like the environments that we're currently in you know what does education look like in a space like this what does working look like in a space like this what does socializing mean in a space like this um, and really the aim is to inspire people you know take people from knowing nothing about this space to knowing something about this space um, and to start to see the opportunities for careers for themselves um, if you look at a, you know, a, most career festivals are in sports halls right now, and they, they pretty much are globally, and they haven't changed for a long time. Um, and that doesn't really give you a steer of what the future can be, as this career con will give you a steer of what the future can be. Um, and also give you a taster of the immersive experiences that you could, that you could be taking part in uh, in the future. That's exciting as well. Now, Hundo is focused on the youth and bringing youth into Web3, into blockchain and so on. So will this be uh, an on-location event and, or a hybrid event, or how do you... It'll be, that? yeah, it's going to be all online. Um, so it's going to be all online, again, for accessibility to as many people as possible. Um, we're looking at potentially doing some in real life um, sort of satellite events as well, but most of it will be online, all available on humble.xyz. Um, it will be a mixture of sort of live panels. It will also include um, some pre-recorded content, but there'll be there'll be plenty to keep people busy for two days. Uh, there will be excursions into spaces like this where we'll mm -hmm. be giving people the opportunity to go and spend some time in immersive zones. Um, so when you first sign up, uh, the first thing you get asked to do is actually create your avatar. So uh, you go, you create your Ready Play Me avatar, you then got your Ready Play Me avatar so you can start to play. Um, you've got the opportunity then to go and test it out in environments. So just go and explore, just go and see what the opportunities are for you, what the opportunities are available for you. Um, there'll be some content that you can start to explore straight away. Uh, and then there's the big panels where we discuss some of the, you know, the bigger topics about you know, what the future of education will be, what the future of work will be, um, you know, what that actually means, what the challenges are that people are going to face. Um, and we've got, can't announce anybody yet, but we've got some fairly high-profile people that we'll be uh, announcing soon to um, who will be speaking on panels, which is very, very exciting. How do you put this all together? This sounds like such a complex event, uh, and it's taking place online, which is another layer of complexity. How long have you been working to put this all together? 
we've been we've been planning for quite some time now so we've been planning since the end of last year in terms of thinking about what we need when we need it mm -hmm. um the i guess the production side of it really started in anger just a few months back um started to get all the key bits in place the platform itself we started building at the beginning of this year uh, because the platform will be our our actual uh, learning platform, uh, learn and earn platform, which people will be able to use, um, you know, from that point on. And then our education program will start to roll out next year. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of planning going into it. In terms that I'm not going to lie, it's obviously very complicated. There's a lot that's been in place. There's a lot that's been in parts. So plenty to keep us busy. Um, that interplay between very traditional sort of video focus panels and some of these more immersive experiences you know thinking through what all those different journeys look like like this experience we're in right now you know i would love people to be able to come and explore this and just thinking about how actually we do that and how we onboard people and we'll probably do guided tours or something that let people you know so we can explain to people without necessarily a technical background what to do and how to use it uh, and just have a bit of a test that's fantastic um uh, apologies for the sound of birds <laughs> There are actually flocks of birds in the ruby room um, that perch from tree to table and so on. And uh, way back here, there are aquariums. Uh, but I can show you those later. <laughs> I don't want to, I mean, to distract. I <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, the, the the space is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it might be interesting <laughs> just to do a bit of a tour of the space and let people see, you know, what what is actually available in the ruby room. Sure. Uh, if you have a moment, I'm happy to. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. So I'll just switch to my avatar's view. Um, there we are. And uh, we're able to use, of course, like an orbit camera, like uh, in a game as well, if you want to. So we'll just take a saunter <laughs> on over here. Um, there's no running capability yet, so it, it is a saunter. <laughs> <laughs> so I've created these uh, one-way view screens to just kind of optimize the playback a bit. And if I were to look back towards the stage, I can see you through the view screen. It's invisible from the other side. So uh, this is actually being um, an East Coaster. I grew up near the ocean. So this is meant to represent uh, cold water species, you know, like cod and uh, um, octopus and uh, other various animals. If we were to go over here, to the next one. Uh, there's a bit of a theme. <laughs> we'll just walk on through this display. And now we have a tropical species, like a damselfish and uh, a few other wonderful creatures. Yeah. We go over to the last one, <laughs> then that's going to be uh, polar ecosystems, uh, say Antarctic. So it's difficult to see because it's really tiny. There's a penguin up there, beluga whale, an orca whale. And uh, they're kind of uh, sleepy right now. I didn't quite get around to making them move. But um, it's, another, it's another way to populate the space. And as you've seen, there's also a trail cam to follow animals. In this case, uh, I'm seeing a leopard right now. And he's taking a walk past um, a futuristic building model that's part of the Utopia series from Kitbash. Uh, it's meant to be there as a way to discuss, um, see, zero carbon buildings, um, yeah. green roofs, and the rest of it.
So I'll switch over to the uh, orbit camera. And that's the famous view from uh, the promotional. The promotional video uh, was shot with just recording the room as it is. And right now we have this room, uh, kind of the general original Ruby room. And we also have uh, the singularity room, uh, a movie room, and uh, up and coming is a stage laser light concert show. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I've literally just had a Velociraptor walk past me, or I believe is a Velociraptor. It's a, yeah. uh, it's a phenomenal and bizarre experience all at the same time to be having a conversation like this, but at the same time distracted by a, a prehistoric creature. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. I tried to find, strike a balance between yeah. enjoying the space and having a conversation and also being distracted yeah. by a completely you know, surprising element. Uh, yeah. It's hidden right now, but there's another one. There's a series of smaller animals that hit, uh, jump from table to table. Uh, so you have like cats and you know crabs and uh, other things, possums that will appear on the table and uh, take a spin around before they disappear. I don't think an environment like this really changes the way you have a conversation as well. I mean, it's 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 hard not to be inspired when you're in a, when you when you're in an environment like this. It's it's very different to if you know if we were sat in an office right now. I can imagine there'd be a very different vibe. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think that um, in the real life, architecture does influence how we feel in some yeah. respect. Uh, brutalist architecture can make you feel very small and perhaps yeah. isolated. Um, Renaissance architecture can try to bring you into a feeling of connection with uh, the ineffable, uh, with the yeah. spiritual. Um, other environments can be beneficial for study, say a library. Uh, one of the spaces is co-working. It's kind of lit um, with the low-key lighting, uh, brown wood uh, kind of thing, yeah. in order to kind of calm people out. This is meant to be something like a salon. So there yeah. are things to see, you open up with poetry, you have a discussion as we do now, and uh, of course enjoy the distractions <laughs> as they <laughs> appear and disappear. I mean, there's, there's literally a whale swimming past me, as you said that. So yeah, they, it's it's very 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 easy to in, to enjoy them. And what's your you know what's your inspiration you know behind when when you're creating these spaces? You <laughs> talked a little bit about the you know the, the inspiration behind like the sea views and things like that. But what are you drawing from to create these spaces? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, see, starting from way back when I was a wee tyke. Uh, I used to visualize very well, very easily. Uh, I would see something outside or I would uh, read a book and I would see images, uh, I think in pictures. So in this case, when I was sorting through architecture, I came across the general shape of this room, which in this case yeah. is a commercial asset and it's um, unlit and untextured. And just by the shapes that were built into this design, I knew that it would look great from a variety of angles. So then yeah. my job is to uh, pepper that with lighting and paint it with lighting in such a way that it um, enhances the space itself. In this case, you can see lots of starlight. I'll do a quick tour here. Just uh, scanning around the rooms. Snowflakes. Now, the inspiration for the lighting itself um, is uh, theater. Yeah. When I was going through college, I had to study electives, so I chose music theory. And that yeah. put me in direct connection with people who were involved with theater arts. 
And in theater, of course, it's all about setting a mood with lighting. It's all about painting a set with lighting. And uh, if I look distracted, it's because I'm trying to switch the camera as we talk. <laughs> the <laughs> display is right. down here. The webcam's up here. So there we are. <laughs> so and likewise, if I, have a lot, yeah, if I have a lot distracted, it's because I'm walking around the room at the same time. <laughs> cool. Awesome. So um, the participant part of it, it follows a normal multiplayer kind of setup where yeah. you'll have different servers in different locations in the world. Uh, so yeah. Europe and Canada, the States and so on. And we have to decide which servers will be used. Typically, it's automatically chosen based on location. Yeah. Um, but that being said, you can continue to replicate this room once it reaches a max number of participants. So you can have anywhere from 20 to 100 to 1,000 to 100,000 people. Uh, the tricky part is how do they find each other, especially if they're in other countries. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, the thought of 100,000 people. You know, being in these spaces, um, it's it, it <laughs> I, I can imagine. I can imagine. And I, I guess, how do you, once you get to that number of people, assuming they've just come to a space, you know, how do you start to think about, you know, how you make connections between those people? How you, especially when they're across different servers, it's very, very similar challenge to how you're trying to find people in a gaming environment. You know, are you, are you thinking about? You can invite people into specific servers or you can, you know, send people or is it just serendipity and it's whoever you bump into? Actually using a, a lobby system like a multiplayer right. game is the way to do yeah. it. And yeah. that's enhanced more, of course, if it's either organized by country or server yeah. or allow a person to choose it. So if they have a friend in the UK, they can say I yeah. need to be on the UK server so I can see them. They connect to that and they see a list of rooms. Now Privacy, of course, is a big issue. So if you and your friend are speaking on um, TikTok or another system, you can say, okay, go to the room that's named this. And there's yeah. an option to hide the rooms as well. So you'd actually have to know the name. You type it in and then you spawn into that room. And meet your yeah, friend. that makes yeah, that makes absolute sense. And then you literally can just invite people to that space. You can go and find them and you can you, you, you can go and enjoy it and and I guess then there's the opportunities to actually start creating bespoke spaces as things move on. I mean, the, the opportunities are, are, are literally endless. That's what I love about this, because in a sense, you're combining architecture and theater and group dynamics mm. and co-working in this gaming slant as well. as well. So I like to dress the room itself so that it reflects a particular event, uh, time willing and budget willing. Uh, but that being said, uh, being able to pick and choose the kind of metaverse room you want to mm. share with your friends or to study it um, brings in real-world architecture, brings in a lot of other skills like painting, and lighting, and art. Uh, it just goes on and on. I think the metaverse, because of this, will become something really extraordinary for the artistic expression. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think we, we've touched on this in the past. It, it does become, it is theater and it is literally dressing the set. It, it literally is creating those environments. And, you know, at the moment, obviously, this is this is driven from, you know, your, your imagination and, you know, working with other people as well to create these spaces. You know, do you see a, a space in the future where anybody can create one of these spaces or is it cam an open canvas that can be opened up for you to create your own space, whatever that may be, whatever's good for you, and then you can share it with other people? Well, this is it. There are so many people who have so many particular interests. Someone may be a coder, yeah. someone may be yeah. a cook, or they may be a teacher. Yeah. Uh, so being able to accommodate uh, these different levels of interest or familiarity with tech is a big deal. 
uh, in my plans is the ability to make this uh, both seamless and easy to do. Uh, the idea of having your own studios so you can create your own space and build it with visual tools and invite people in using the same uh, technological infrastructure as the Ruby Room uses. So I think if you make it easy for people, then you also invite the possibility of a really varied uh, set of interests and skills and passions coming into a space. I don't think technology should be a barrier. It should be uh, a means uh, to celebrate. Oh yeah, I to totally agree. Totally agree. Te technology should be the, the thing that helps facilitate. It should bring you in. It should draw you in. It shouldn't be something that is only av av available to the select few. Um, and you talked a bit as well, just while we were getting set up about you know the accessibility of it and how you're mm -hmm. thinking about you know it being available to everybody. Do you want to talk a bit about that as well? Certainly, yes. Um, part of the experience that I have as an autistic person uh, has to do with sometimes a sense of isolation or distance from what we could call a mainstream. There's, and this is common with other people I've met who are on the autistic spectrum, you try different things, you try different formulas to figure out what the nonverbal communication is, to figure out how conversations and jokes flow. So yep. the idea of accessibility uh, is important to me. Um, when I was a, a small kid with my brother, we'd say, what would happen if we lost our sight? What would happen if we lost our hearing? And so I try to uh, imperfectly imagine that as a starting point and then invite people to actually use it to see if it works. So then could you navigate the space with your eyes closed? Could you navigate the space uh, without hearing anything? Is it possible to navigate it without using your hands at all with voice command um, yeah. or with autonomous avatars? Uh, there are so many different ways to accommodate uh, disability that uh, we really should look at. And the reason we should do that is because I like to say that genius is everywhere. Uh, yeah. If we remove the barriers, then a lot of people who have incredible talents, I know some people who are bound to a wheelchair, but um, they're amazing poets and writers. We need yeah. to drop the barriers for the spaces so that everyone can participate, we can hear this, we can see this uh, talent mm -hmm. in action. I'm kind of blown away by the thought of, as you were speaking, was, imagine this is a, just an audio experience. Yeah. You know, just walk, walking through it just purely as an audio experience. And, and what would that look like? Because there's nothing about what you've created here that couldn't do that. And again, that would be, you know, fascinating just to think about that as, a, you, know, a, you know, from a, not just an accessibility perspective, but also just a general experience perspective. You know, what does that start to look like? Uh, or what's literally, what does that start to sound like? Um, I think it's really interesting what you could potentially do there. Because I think as soon as you start thinking about it from those angles, you come up with far more creative ways of solving problems. And then, as you say, it gives more people access. The more people that get access, the more interesting solutions you get. And the more interesting problems people try to solve with those with the technology, which I think is just essential for you know whatever the metaverse becomes to to really become its, its truest form. Is it needs everybody to be inputting into it and everybody to be created in that space. I do, uh, I do agree with you. And like grains of sand in a beach, it's impossible for me to hold in my mind all of the many varied interests. Uh, a person could be a botanist or uh, a retired scientist who wants to share what they know. Um, it could be uh, a young student or an artist who needs to find an audience for what they do. It could be a bee poet or a musician. And to me, that's the most exciting aspect of these metaverse-style rooms. And the more they can reflect uh, a passion for the arts 
or form an inspirational environment, I think that helps accelerate uh, the experience, uh, even if it's short-lived, if it's 40 minutes, 45 minutes, yeah. an hour. Yeah. But that's phenomenal. It's on right. You know, a 45-minute experience, a 10-minute experience. It doesn't have to be long, but you can start to... Um, there's, there's a lot you can do with expression in that time. Um, and I think that's very powerful. What are your thoughts on orchestrating or timing an experience? Um, how much um, pre-production or how much production is important to ensure an event flows? Um, how do you make spaces for that event to have randomness? When you're putting together a Hundo's events, uh, what's your philosophy? It's a really good question, actually. Really good question. It's actually something we've, we've debated about quite a bit in terms of how much is how much is serendipity, and we just provide this space for people to be able to explore and discover, versus how much of it is actually guided, and we try to tell a narrative. Um, and where, where's that compromise? You know, not compromise. But where's that balance in between? Mm-hmm. Um, and we think there's there's almost like two strands to it from our perspective. There's there, there's, and I think about it. In, I always think about things in gaming terms. So there'll be there's a core storyline. And there's a core storyline which you can go and play. And you can do that, and that will have a narrative structure around it. And that narrative weaves you throughout the event, weaves you throughout the, the time, whatever time that may be. Um, and that is structured to an extent. It, is, uh, it has specific points. It may be even, of course, actions where people group together, you know, panels or whatever it may be, that, that then weaves a narrative throughout that event. But at the same time, like any good game, you can go off and do side quests, or you can go off and explore, or you can go off and discover, or just try to level up. And I think that that then allows people to go off the beaten track as such and then discover their own paths and their own interests. And I think there's a really, there's a, a delicate balance between getting the two right. And it depends obviously on the size of the, the production that you're pulling together. Um, but I think if you can get that balance right where there is you know, a set narrative or maybe one or two narratives that people can follow, uh, but then there are those side quests, there are those, um, there are those places where people can just explore themselves and then choose to go back to their narrative later on if they want to. Um, that to me is like the, the perfect balance. It's always hard to get right. You know, I, don't think, I don't think there's an exact science to it as such, but it's, um, it's how I try to approach things and how we try to approach when we're structuring what it, you know, what a, an experience should look like, what an experience should be. Entirely driven from playing games my entire life. <laughs> now, this is something that I'd like to talk about as well, your experience as a gamer and how that's led you to this. Um, in my experience of a gamer, I was involved with early, early game systems, uh, like the classic arcades and then what followed shortly yeah. after. And then I completely went away from that and studied uh, audio engineering. Uh, I was yep. making videos with friends and reading books and so on. And so fast forward to the future and I'm jumping back into console gaming. So yep. would you tell me a bit about your history as a gamer that brought you here? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I I think my first experience with the gaming system was probably an old Atari. I forget exactly which one it was, but it had the it had the paddles where you you turn to play pong, um, and it was a hand me down from a family member. Um, and I was <laughs> I loved it. I loved it because it was. This is in the early '80s, and it, it blew my mind that you could control the TV through this panel. And I just loved, even though pong was incredibly simple, it, it just I was absolutely fascinated by it. 
And then I think pestered my family for many years to actually get a game and I get a, a computer. I remember getting a, an Atari. I think it was a 65XC, you know, very, very old school Atari. Um, with 8-bit games, you had to, everything was loaded off tapes. It took 10 minutes to load. I was always slightly behind the curve in terms of the latest systems, but it was, it was, I loved it, you know, and it was the, even though when you look back, the games were pretty terrible most of the time. Um, they were also at the time incredibly good fun. Um, and I kind of moved on from there to, it was all about computers. I moved on there to the, the Atari ST, the Amiga. I've actually, you can't see it here, but I've got a few Amigas literally behind my camera here. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I've got two Amiga 500s and Amiga 1200. I still, I'm still very passionate about them. Um, they, and uh, that entire 16-bit era of computing, both the Atari ST and the Amiga, was really where I... I got into gaming big style because I, I enjoyed playing the games, but I also enjoyed pulling the games to pieces. I enjoyed understanding how they worked. Um, I was very drawn into the visual side of it, you know, what the, how it, what it was like to create the assets for the games. Um, I would play with programming editors to understand how you pulled them all together. And that to me was, that was to me was my, both my gaming experience and my computer education. I always had consoles. I remember having the, the, the SNESes and things like that. Um, and then similar to you, I actually went off it for a while. You know, I kind of went into, you know, I got busy and um, was at college and got distracted by things that weren't computer related. And then started using computers specifically for work and for college and for things like that. And then brought, started bringing games consoles back into the mix. I got a PlayStation and, and I've kind of pretty much been on the PlayStation side of things for since then with, a you know, a, a, an Xbox every now and then, depending on what the game is. Um, Although nowadays I've got a very powerful gaming PC, uh, which I play old school point and click adventure games on. So, <laughs> what's your um, favorite game right now? Oh dear, I I play a lot of the old. I, I play a lot of retro games, so mm -hmm. I I play a lot of the old like Monkey Island, the Broken Sword, and things like that. Uh, although I am playing Mass Effect as well. I finally it's a few years old now, but I finally got hold of Mass Effect. And I've started playing through that, which, believe it or not, I haven't played up to now. And everyone, you know, so I bought the, the remastered trilogy and I've started playing that. So that, I'm very near the beginning. I'm told it's a, an amazing adventure. So I'm at the, the cusp of diving into that. Uh, what do you think about Bioshock? I mean, great game. Uh, that was introduced to me through uh, a girlfriend who had a PlayStation and Bioshock was her favorite game. I think uh, right. Great Little Planet as well. And I recently rediscovered when I got my um, PlayStation 3. And I'm really just enamored with the idea that it's an underwater world. <laughs> less, less VR, more actual reality cat. <laughs> exactly. Cats are fantastic. I'm yeah. glad she made an appearance. Is she or he? <laughs> it's a she. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so... To jump back to, to Hundo and uh, CareerCon, uh, what sort of people uh, are you finding are attending your events? Um, well, this is our first one. Um, we are very much bringing on board um, a lot of Gen Z, really. We're, we're, we're spending a lot of time talking to 16 to like 25-year-olds um, mm -hmm. and looking to bring them on, although it is available for anybody, you know, and it will be equally available for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we're definitely giving it a slant of you know, people that are of that age that are either choosing what to do at college or maybe they've finished school and they're looking at what that first step into their career is. There's a lot of, there's a lot, if you're already in the industry, particularly if you're in the tech industry, you're already particularly well served if you're 
you've got a role and you're you're already working your way up a ladder. You're reasonably well served. Um, if on the other hand you are just trying to break into the industry, then there's less to serve you. And it, I think there's also a massive opportunity for people that haven't necessarily thought about tech-enabled roles. And I say tech-enabled rather than tech roles because it's not just about tech roles. It's not just about developers. It's not just about 3D modelers. It's not just about that kind of that kind of skill set. It's that whole ecosystem of what does tech mean for your industry. Um, you know, if you are 16, 17 now and you're going into a career, the chances are you'll be using some kind of software to do that. Um, and the chances are you could be building on that programming that or whatever to help you to help you do it. Um, you just have to sit in a coffee shop and the heart, there's a the chances are people will take your order on an iPad. Um, and so there's a lot of basic skills that people need to be able to start working in in, in this field. Um, and there's the hard tech skills, but there's also the, the soft skills that sit around that. There's there's the, the skills, you know, what does it actually mean to work in a team? You know, what type of skills do you need? How do you communicate with each other? What technology is available for you to communicate? How do you how do you brainstorm remotely? You know, what tools should be using? Um, and if you think about, you know, I just think about Hondo. You know, the way that we use software at Hondo is there is obviously an engineering team, but then there's a half of the business which is not tech, traditional tech roles, but they're still in the tech industry. You know, we're talking all day on Slack, we're using Miro, you know, we're using Monday.com as a project management tool, um, as well as all the deep set, you know, as well as, coding in React, as well as doing 3D, as well as playing with Unity. So there's lots of different skill sets that are required for everybody. And what we're really saying with CareerCon is actually it doesn't, doesn't really matter where you're coming from, but you're going to, these skills will be valuable to you. And actually, if we can, um, we can start to open up people's minds in terms of, well, this is what's available to you, then that's fantastic. And that's like step one. And then obviously there's the immersive part of the events as well, which is looking at, and here's the future. You know, here's, here's the future of what things can be for you. You know, this is what, working for the metaverse might actually mean you know this is this is the type of roles be it you know creating a fantastic unity experience or maybe it's working in pr maybe it's working in community management maybe it's working in the legal side of it but they're all connected to what's required for uh for what will be the metaverse um or maybe it's actually just doing your job in there but it's got nothing to do with technology at all you know if you're selling trainers but actually, you've got a, you're building a retail space in the metaverse. You mm -hmm. need to start understanding what that means. Um, if you're building digital avatars, if you're building clothing for digital avatars, there's so many different opportunities. You know, so many different opportunities there. And I think we have one of our biggest challenges has been actually to take all that potential and start to say build, pull it down into a narrative that we can that we can actually build into an event to um, to engage with people. Well, that's extraordinary. Just the complexity and the texture of what you're creating in terms of so many different ages, so many different jobs, possibilities, so many different talents. Uh, to bring that all together, I think, I think is extraordinary. Um, the more that we can represent uh, the real diversity of the world within this construct, um, perhaps that'll reflect yeah. out into the real world somehow. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the one of the key things we're looking to do with the Hondo is, you know, is one of the, the the launch event is about inspiration and about taking you on a journey. Um, once you're onto Hondo, it's about it's about two things. I mean, we've got building out your own profile, which is avatar driven. So you use a Ready Player Me avatar, like we are in this space. Um, with that profile, you have your skills. We call it your skills wallet, which is actually NFT based. Uh, representations of the skills that you're learning, which are so bound to your wallet, so you can't transfer them to other people. Um, but they, we verify that you have those skills before we give you the NFT. So we start to allow people to create their own 
effectively their own skills identity you know their identity you can take with them um and the key thing that's interesting for me and what inspired us to go down that route was it's not about representing just you it's not your name it's not your profile picture it's it's skills which you can associate with a with a profile if you choose to share more you can do but when you think about how you connect individuals from that perspective if you're looking for work or somebody's looking to connect with somebody with a particular skill set if they literally just connect with people who they know have those verified skills that takes away a lot of the unconscious biases that will be kicking in and at some point they will still start to connect with those people and they will still meet face to face and everything but if at that first point we can connect people by actually i need somebody that can do ai development for argument's sake um and i can see this person has that i don't know who they are but i can see this person has that so then my first touch point is based on that. It's not based on, oh, I, I didn't like their LinkedIn picture. It's not based on actually they've got a name that sounds a bit foreign, you know, whatever it might be that drives your bias. Um, and so we, we allow people to do that, um, which I think is going to be very, very important in helping break down some of those barriers. Hmm. That's extraordinary. I guess it's easy to um, assume that in my case, if I'm looking for someone who's an AI specialist, I find myself drawn to people who look like friends I had in Europe or are in the arts of being like I am. And yeah. it really, it's very easy to drift away from uh, the actual utility of the skills itself. And so Web3 and Soulbound tokens, uh, you say, are a way to, to, to navigate that and open up the market. Yeah, it's a, it's a way that we've been exploring to do that, you know, and whether you use soulbound tokens, whether you use verified credentials, but if you basically use a way of being able to connect people with, as you say, those skill sets, because mm -hmm. we're all, we're all, we all do make them, but you know, unconscious decisions, you know, and biases in terms of, you know, we, we tend to get on better with people that we think look and sound a bit like us. That's natural. It's human nature. That's, it is fine to admit that. And then to say, well, actually that, that can be a problem at scale. So if we can do things that help to break that down and uh, you know that first contact point can be actually rather than sifting through and only only speaking to those people that look and sound like you actually now we can connect you with people that just have those skill sets and it doesn't as i say it doesn't remove the bias totally you will still probably have a video call with those people um but it allows you to make that first connection um and don't get me wrong you know we've, we've looked at things like biases within avatars as well because actually you get unconscious biases towards avatars and it's, it's interesting how people can still build up a um people can still build up a viewpoint of what somebody is based on what their avatar may look like which is which is fascinating so last in fact yeah a year and a half ago we won an innovate uk grant here in the uk which is a government fund and we did some experimentation into using avatars to help with removing bias um and we discovered some really interesting things there. You know, one is that a lot of younger people really, one really, the idea really resonated with them. Again, lots more gamers, lots more people used to online identities. Um, but it was also from the flip side of it, when connecting with other people, also sort of is a legitimate way of connecting with other people, um, which is actually very different to if you look at the likes of LinkedIn, which is obviously driven by personality, which is driven by the pictures, it's driven by the names, by the credentials you put in. It's a slightly different way of looking at it. And it's not to say that that approach is fundamentally wrong because it's just human nature that you can walk into a room and look at everyone's faces. Um, but it's to say there's actually a different viewpoint as well. And actually a combination of the two somewhere probably gets you to a better result. Um, so that combined with actually helping people with the training and helping people learn skills um, to be able to get those accreditations is you know, a big part of like the, the longevity of what, what Hundo will do. That's fantastic. Um, I obviously begin to wonder 
about how your courses will be set up, how skills will be vetted. And I know that we both like science fiction. So, of course, I'm thinking of, you know, a, a Jedi-like skill chart <laughs> to show you the pathway from here to there. <laughs> We're actually thinking about we're actually thinking about skills in very similar ways. So we're thinking about it in terms of again thinking about gaming. We're thinking about linear paths. So a linear path is actually you've got a, a set number of things you need to learn to get to an outcome. And whenever we think about skills, we're thinking about what what you actually need to get to an outcome to achieve something, um, and to be able to you know either work in that space. Um, and so there's linear paths, but there's also radial paths, which have got which they've got like almost like a central hub, but then they can go off in different directions, and they have different skill sets in different areas that join together to create. And you know, it could be to create your Jedi. And again, thinking about it as a gamer, you could be thinking about well, there's this one path that you could take to to skill up in a certain area versus these different routes you could take, which give you a plethora of different skills, but then together allow you to do you know this. It allows you to have you know this superpower, this outcome. Um, but also because you've learned those, you can apply them to something else as well. So there might be skill sets that you can equally learn to multiple different outcomes. So then, you know, once you've completed one, it means that actually you're then you've then halfway to completing another one. Um, and, and structuring structuring things like that. And our approach to education is we have the principle of liquid learning, or we, we work around the principle of liquid learning, um, which is a principle of there is no one way of actually learning. And, you know, learning is a liquid. It, it flows around and it, 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 it's manual. Um, and so we're thinking about it in that terms as well, which again goes back into more of the you can pick and choose almost the components that you do, but that get you to the same outcome. Um, and thinking about, you know, you may be a visual learner versus you may be a more interactive learner. But, you know, so something immersive may work very well for one person, but somebody else may just actually just want to read. And that's fine. You know, it's fine to be able to offer the same ways, um, providing you get to a point where you have that skill. Um, and then once you've got to the point where you have that skill, in order to validate it, we look at ways of testing it. Um, mm -hmm. And the testing, it can range anything from, you know, simple as simple question and answers. But what we're looking at is more in-depth ways where we have effectively allowed for the community to, 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 to validate as well and also allow institutions or, or people that have already got the skill set to validate. And some of it can be done programmatically too. So there's many different ways that we look at actually validating a skill set. Uh, but fundamentally, we want to be able to say, yes, if you've been through this course and you have this NFT, then we believe that you're up to this level and it's been accredited and you can trust that somebody can do this if they have this in their wallet. It's such an exquisite blending of Metaverse, Web3, gaming technology, and the practical organization that's required to be able to progress from, say, a beginner, if you're learning a trade, to yep. a journeyman, to, to uh, what have you, to a master. And being able to represent that in the blockchain have uh, NFT uh, non-fungible non tokens representing that achievement so perfectly parallels gaming <laughs> in a way that it takes yeah. this idea of a persistent metaverse and gaming existing alongside our world and really weaving it together in a productive way, uh, in a way that really matters and makes a difference to a student's life, the way that Hondo is pursuing this. Uh, it's inspired. 
Well, thank you. I mean, that's uh, I mean, fantastic coming from you. And I think it's really the, the gaming angle again comes through. You know, that everything we when when I, what I just described is really if you think about any game that you play, you create a profile and then you can level up certain areas, and you you, you can be level up your armor, your power, your sprinting, your your you know, your crafting, whatever it may be. And it's really thinking about it through those same lenses, you know, and that that, that same way of thinking about it. Um, uh, the difference being is the NFT angle gives us the ability to be able to say, well, we can take that from our platform. And then once you start to connect it into other platforms, it starts to open up lots of opportunities there in terms of what you do with it. You know, thinking about the space we're in right now, you know, if I come and sit at one of the tables, maybe that we can connect to Caress, you know, and I can see the skills that you have available. And so straight away, I know, I don't know who you are, but I can see an avatar and I know you're a Solidity developer. You know, and that's, that's actually great. kind of interesting. I mean, my science fiction brain is just thinking of the Mandalorian. So you walk into <laughs> a setting and you set your hollow down on the table. And your skills NFTs appear. <laughs> I mean, that'd be fantastic. You put it down on the table, and there it appears next to you. Um, yeah, I was thinking that. In my mind, I always have something from the Terminator where somebody just gets scanned as they walk in and it, shows, <laughs> it lists out the skills next to them. Um, that may be in a few years' time. We're not doing yeah. that for V1. I yeah. you're bookkeeping your computer skills <laughs> and your Excel. <laughs> it, yeah, that was. That was in the original script for Terminator. I think they got rid of that line, but they should have kept that within. <laughs> they should have. They should have. That would have been a winner. <laughs> that would have been a winner. <laughs> Great. Well, this is superb, and uh, I want to thank you for your time and uh, your technical savvy to bring yourself into this Ruby Room because the Ruby Room is mostly there. There are a few links missing, and you solve them all. So. I caps off to your brilliance, sir. Well, one, thank you very much for inviting me into this Ruby room. Uh, it is absolutely phenomenal. There really aren't that many kinks. It was relatively easy to navigate, um, but it's it's looking fantastic. Absolutely looking fantastic. Um, I really want to use this all the time. It is very cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I see the elephant's going to start <laughs> occluding the view here, so I'll switch and. Uh, well, anything else? The stage is yours, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was just watching the elephant here on my screen at the moment. <laughs> he's, he's wandered off towards a tree. Um, that is absolutely fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, for being here, Scott. And I hope we do this again. And it's always great speaking with you. Uh, our Likewise. Likewise, it's always fantastic speaking to you. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the space as well. Um, it's very, very cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.